Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And we are going to start a three-week kind of mini-series here as a lead-up to the Nebraska Future Ready Conference. It's going to be taking place on June 14th and 15th this year. It's a free event uh, that's virtual, and I understand most educators are probably ready for a little bit of a break as the school year winds down, Uh, and so that would give us a couple weeks before an opportunity really to learn from some great voices from within Nebraska and across the country, Uh, and one of those, Matt Miller, is joining us today for the podcast, and so I'm really grateful to Matt uh, for being not only our keynote at the Future Ready Conference, uh, but for a chance uh, to give a little preview here today and, and to learn from Matt. So Matt, welcome to the pod. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to to chat. Yeah, I've just been so grateful for all of your efforts. I can tell over the course of the past year as I see you on socials and uh, in different spaces leading and helping support teachers. And that was really one of the reasons we wanted to reach out because we know that you've grown and learned a lot, I, I would oh, imagine, yeah. over the course of this past oh, yeah. year in all the different uh, scenarios that have been playing out. And so, uh, Matt, could you give our audience a little better sense of kind of who you are and maybe a little bit of your story from what has happened in supporting teachers during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I I started out as a high school Spanish teacher, you know, just regular classroom teacher here in West Central Indiana, teaching at little bitty schools, um, you know, like uh, the, the one I taught at most recently, graduating class of 32. So I'm sure that you probably got some like that in Nebraska. Oh yeah, um, that that that's part of our population for sure. Yeah, like we had to drive your tractor to school day if that sort of gives you a picture. So <laughs> I know that probably is near and dear to some of the hearts of some of the people listening to this. Um, so taught in uh, public schools for about for eleven years actually. Um, actually got into education. I wasn't an education major. I was a journalism major. I was going to be a newspaper reporter, and I did that for about three months and realized I hated it. But my wife was a teacher and something there was just something about being in a school. And so I made the switch and about three or four years into probably closer to three years into my teaching career is teaching, you know, like real traditional by the textbook worksheets, workbook pages, like, you know, all of those things. And I started to develop the secret and it was a secret that my principal didn't know and that my fellow teachers didn't know, but all of my students knew this secret. And my secret was that the students in my Spanish classes couldn't speak Spanish, like which is <laughs> kind of a problem if you're a Spanish teacher and you want them to speak Spanish and all. And so I kept thinking like babies can learn how to speak a language without doing verb conjugation drills. There's got to be a better way to do it. And so kind of like bigger picture, what I was wrestling with was this traditional approach that everybody seems to use isn't working is there something better, you know? And I started to realize that some of the stuff we were doing right out of my textbooks and out of the workbooks and everything was just not helping my students reach their goals. They weren't becoming the fluent Spanish speakers that I really intended for them to be. And so I just sort of slowly started experimenting with different things, Uh, trying something that I cooked up that I thought would work, that was based off of everything that I'd read and seen and that, you know, I hoped would work. And, um, you know, little by little, I needed my textbooks less and less. 
And so that's kind of the heart of Ditch That Textbook was over time, I kept trying different things, you know, reading what other teachers were doing, pulling in technology and all of that stuff. And I started to need my textbooks less and less until I eventually just ditched them. And so, you know, that's where I am today. I taught for 11 years and then I got the opportunity to turn to supporting teachers, which has been a passion of mine giving them practical things that they can use in class right away, helping them to understand the research that's out there without them having to get nerdy with it and go wading through a whole bunch of like dense texts and everything. Like I do a little bit of that for them and then tell them how they can use it. And that's, that's sort of where I am now. Well, and one, that's really what we're excited to have you share out about as part of the Future Ready Conference. I mean, that's a very tech forward group and no surprise too that in what I just sometimes just refer to as a digital age, right? That we are not looking to uh, as a place that these learners are going to end up in the future, but they're living in now and have for quite some time that uh, we would need to incorporate technology well in the classroom to optimize the learning that's taking place there. And so that said, wow, has that changed uh, (laughs) from what it maybe looked like, you know, five, 10 years ago to now in terms of technology integration. And, And this year has done so much with that. Uh, in your support of teachers recently, what have you sort of seen as kind of the current state of education and the integration of technology with all that has gone on this last year? Yeah, I think I heard somebody say or read in an article or something that a lot of our technology use as far as our computers and the internet and video conferencing and like all that stuff has advanced forward like several, several years faster than it would have because of the pandemic. And I think now that we're starting to inch back towards a normal life a little bit more, in a lot of ways, it's interesting to see what sticks and what doesn't. Like what what did teachers do that they loved and their students loved? And what are the things that they did that they hated that, you know, and that's even telling sometimes too, you know, is if um, we hated the idea of Zoom class all day, every day, and like being on video calls and stuff, it's like, well, that is teacher-centric instruction driven from the front of the class. That is, you know, passive, uh, sedentary learning. And so if we hated that in Zoom, why would we turn around and go back to that in the classroom? Like, even if we have to slowly evolve away from what we used to be, it gives us this opportunity to do it. And I think that's another thing coming back to your question of the state of the classroom is that we are coming off of a time where a lot of us were pushed to do things that we wouldn't have done otherwise. We were forced into trying new things because all of a sudden here it is Friday and we just learned that we're not coming back to school on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, or maybe for a few weeks or a few months. And here it is Friday. And so over the weekend, we're racking our brain going, oh my goodness, what in the world am I going to do? And then on Sunday, it's like, I have to have something for Monday. I have to come up with something. And so we just put something out there. And so we were forced into a lot of this stuff and we had to learn what Google Meet was all about. We had to learn what Seesaw and Canvas and Google Classroom did. And, you know, through all of that, we all learned some new things. And so I don't know about you, but for me, I'm very, very curious just to see what education looks like on the other side of that. Yeah, I would just echo all of those things. I tend to frame it as I just feel like our ceiling has just exponentially grown Uh, where there are schools that never were one-to-one that now have that. And there are places Mm -hmm. where tech tools were not leveraged that are now being used. 
LMSs, I think, have gone from assignment pinup boards <laughs> previously yeah. uh, to a place now where you can actually house uh, a learning experience as a module that you would expect it to have different components like a video or, you know, some sort of assessment that would give you feedback uh, through that medium. And, and all of, I think that that has done has forced us to start to think about, are we being clear in this space? And are we able to mm. communicate expectations, not only to our students, but to parents? And, and when you sort of wrap all of that together, the future potential is just tremendous. And one thing that I, I would be remiss not to bring up in what you just shared there is that oftentimes we had to do this in a weekend or yep. in a week. And yep. uh, it was healthy for us with regards to growing our growth mindset to be put in those situations where our hair is on fire sometimes, which is never fun <laughs> or rarely fun. Yeah. Uh, but I do think that that also is going to lead to a greater capacity to enact change on the other side of things. So I don't know what your thoughts mm -hmm. are there, but I get fired up thinking about that stuff. Oh yeah, me too. And I'm so glad that you mentioned the, the growth mindset piece of that. Like, um, you know, we, we were sort of stretched to an area where we're not usually stretched. You know, some of us have kind of figured out what class looks like day to day to day. So we're not really stretching ourselves that much at all. And it's interesting to be able to turn around and look back and go, wow, look what we were able to do. And it didn't, you know, like blow, completely blow up in our faces. We were able to make something happen through all of that. So even if going forward, we don't stretch ourselves and hopefully we do since we know that it's, it's possible. But even if we don't stretch ourselves going forward, at least we've gotten that one little stretch over the last year to see some new things. You know, hopefully all of that stuff comes together and kind of pushes everything forward. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I do think about it as uh, like, I'm someone who's afraid of heights. Oh, me <laughs> and, too. Uh, and I like through hiking and things have, I'll like creep closer to the edge and just stare at it for a little bit. And, and I, I think that uh, uncomfortableness is sort of breached in that fashion. Sometimes it's less about being a risk taker and more about having a rich risk history uh, is how I like to think about it. Ooh, and I like that. So we've, we've navigated that, right? Like we've been in those spaces and uh, it's really fun to consider what, what it will look like moving forward. Yeah. And uh, so that said, just following you through socials and everything else, in a period where it seemed like a lot of people were ramping down, it seemed like you were ramping up <laughs> yeah. and really did a lot of great things in support of education over the course of this past year. And so in the midst of that was obviously your most recent book, Tech Like a Pirate. Mm -hmm. uh, and so can you yeah, speak to a little bit of where your thoughts were as that was all coming together? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a whole story in and of itself. So the book, Tech Like a Pirate, if anybody's not familiar with the book Teach Like a Pirate, then that title will sound really strange. But um, <laughs> Tech Like a Pirate is kind of a spinoff from Dave Burgess's book, Teach Like a Pirate, which, you know, at its heart is basically saying, don't just teach a lesson, create an experience. You know, how can you make class memorable? How can you get students excited about coming in? How can you engage them once they're there? And um, the more I dove into that, the more I found that there's lots of research that supports that. Like our brains light up like a Christmas tree whenever we're engaged in that way. And so I wanted to write a book about, you know, kind of like following up that idea. If we want to not just teach a lesson, but create an experience, can technology help us do that effectively? Can it elevate our ability to do that, whether you're elevating the experience or elevate the learning that's going on or whatever? And I found that the answer to that was absolutely yes. And so that's what the book is all about. It gives, I think, like seven or eight different areas where I've seen 
a whole lot of potential for creating memorable learning. And there's like, for me and the other teachers that I've worked with and everything, it's like, these are some of the areas where if you want to engage kids in meaningful learning, we've seen huge, huge success in it. And so it just gives lots of practical ideas about that. And an interesting story around that book was the release of it because it came out. I can't remember if it was in, I think it actually came out in the beginning of May. And so at that time, you know, we were knee deep in the pandemic. And I think a lot of people who had written books that were scheduled to be released at that time were asking themselves, am I doing the world a favor by putting this book out into the world at this moment? And I know there were books that were held because the answer to that was not that I don't believe in the message, but I don't think this is the right timing, you know, so they held those books back. I talked to my publisher, Dave Burgess, and we both came to the belief that this was exactly what people needed right now. You know, teachers were a trying to figure out how in the world this technology works or try to get more out of it. Right. And B teachers and students were like devoid of joy. I felt like, you know, that whole idea of joy and engagement and laughter and fun and wonder and curiosity, like a lot of that stuff during pandemic era learning, you know, during uh, the height of the pandemic, when we were still trying to figure things out, we reverted into what can I get assigned to them tomorrow instead of how can I engage them? Because it's hard to make things interesting and fun and engaging when all you're trying to do is just survive. It's like you're on a boat and somebody throws you off of the boat in the middle of the night and you go underwater. And what's the first thing you need to do? You got to get to the surface and breathe. We were in get to the surface and breathe mode at that point. And so once we got to the surface and we got that big gasp of air, it's like, okay, now what do we do? And that was the moment in May. I felt like that was the moment where we had sort of collectively gotten that first gasp of air and it was time to go find land. It was time to swim to the, the shore and find land. And I kind of felt like that's what that book did in some ways. You know, I think as you were talking there, it reminds me so much of being a first year teacher. I, I think that sure. many of us, that was our experience that we're just trying to get ready for tomorrow. And it's tough to sometimes think about the experience and to see the work that you're already trying to do broadly enough to encapsulate that element as well. Uh, yeah. And so now I, I almost want to double back to where we were talking earlier. I don't think that yeah. that's any less applicable today, <laughs> just because we're not where we were last year, where we we're fully remote. Uh, mm-hmm. or distance, depending on what your verbiage is. And so uh, could you maybe share, because you said there are about seven or eight things uh, within the book, yeah. and not to give too much away, but a little bit of a oh, I'm, that's of fine. one of those pieces that would both highlight what's in the book, but also maybe help stretch our thinking. Yeah. And <laughs> funny, you mentioned not to give too much away. I'm kind of like, I'm one of those people that's all about giving it all away. <laughs> like for instance, if somebody goes to the companion website that goes, the that's the companion to the book. If they go to techlikeapirate.com, they'll find that I have, and this was by design, I've given away as many free classroom ideas and free templates and everything on the website as I gave away in the book. Like it's, it's pretty equal. So if anybody wants to dive into any of these things, they can just go to techlikeapirate.com and there's lots of good free resources there. But to give them a taste, like you were asking, if you're listening to this and want, to, want a little taste of what's in it, uh, let me give you a few of them. For one, there's a whole chapter about social media and apps. Not necessarily because you have to go 
use TikTok in your class or you have to communicate with your students by Snapchat. Like there's still lots of roadblocks and lots of reasons not to do some of that stuff, but we can use it as an inspiration for really engaging activities. For instance, I looked at Instagram stories. You know, if if you're an Instagram user, you'll know that Instagram stories are where people put little pictures and videos, like little snippets of their day into their story. And then other people can hit play on it and it just plays through them like a slideshow. And it gives you a snapshot of what your day was like. And I remember looking at that and thinking, that would be such a cool formative assessment. Like what if you're studying uh, Romeo and Juliet and you ask students, what would Juliet's Instagram story look like in act two, scene two? You know, like boom, instant engagement right there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you don't have to have Instagram to create that experience. That's the big part of that chapter is saying you don't need the app to create the experience. Like, let's look at what the app does. In this case, Instagram stories has uh, like a slideshow of images and videos. Hmm, slideshow. Do we have a tool that we use in Google or Microsoft that's like slides? Hmm, (laughs) right. I think we do. Yeah. Yeah. So I started to think, well, what if we could redesign slides to look a little bit like the Instagram interface, you know, the user interface. And so I made a slide template that looks like Instagram stories where students can drop pictures and videos on it and boom. Now all of a sudden that slide presentation feels like Instagram stories. That's just one of them. Um, I've got lots of stuff about video, you know, having students create video, teachers creating videos. My big thought in that is, what if we made those videos feel more like YouTube? Use YouTube as an inspiration. You know, go out on YouTube and figure out what are the popular types of videos. There's a whole part that I go over, and I've got a big article on my website about unboxing videos. Andrew, have you ever watched an unboxing video on YouTube before? Um, I have a 10 year old daughter. I've watched unboxing videos before. <laughs> what does she watch them unbox? That's what I'm curious about. Um, well, it's not a box. There's ones with Easter eggs. Okay, they yeah, open still. Up, and inside yeah. the Easter egg, it was either a squishy or a bath bomb was the most recent one that we watched. And they yep. did the same thing, but people got to, it was a competition to see who could get more squishies and bath bombs. I yeah. don't know why we watched this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But we did. Mm-hmm. We were captivated. And you couldn't put point. it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's just one example. Like, I think those unboxing videos have like rich, rich potential for students demonstrating understanding right there on camera. And it makes it fun. You know, so there's unboxing videos, there's top 10 videos, there's man on the street interviews. I mean, there's like all sorts of stuff that happens on YouTube that you could repurpose into a learning activity. Uh, Video, there's images, there's games, there's global communication, there's collaboration. There's one or two other ones in there. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that's that's kind of the gist. That's the meat and potatoes of the book right there. And what's great is it's responsive to what is culturally popular at the time, which I think good good educators are always consistently trying to relate to whatever it is that the students then could sort of say, oh, this is similar to what I would do socially uh, in some aspect. And, uh, and yeah. I, I liked, as you were sharing there as well, just that sometimes I think, uh, and I'll give an example from a mutual friend of ours, right? Tara Martin with, with yep. snaps. And initially everyone mm-hmm. is like, well, I'm not going to put my kids on Snapchat. And so because I'm not, we can't do that, then we're not going to do book snaps. And it's like, well, there are so many other apps or tools yep. to repurpose, uh, to accomplish the same ends. And so I really appreciated your flexible thinking with regards to Instagram, because if you're like, well, we're not going right. to point students to a social media app why not do it in slides? And mm-hmm. so that's a, a great way to 
not just say, well, I can't do this because of fill in the blank. Right, exactly. In fact, you know, uh, I think Flipgrid is a great example of that. I kind of think, you know, Flipgrid is kind of like the educational version of TikTok. Right. Short videos, built-in video editor, like TikTok is very much like that. You can make the, the tall videos instead of the wide videos on Flipgrid, like all of that stuff, it can, it can really feel like that. And if kids' minds are already there, you mentioned this earlier that it was relevant to their lives. If somebody's looking at this and is going, yeah, but is this like research-backed? Let me tell you real quickly what brain science says about this. Whenever our brains see something that we're familiar with, it engages this thing called the reticular activating system that basically is our brain's way of saying, since I'm familiar with this, whenever I see it out in the wild, I'm going to notice it bigger. You know, um, for instance, whenever you buy a certain kind of car and you start driving on the road and you realize, oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch of those cars all over the place. Why, when did everybody go buy the same car that I did? It's because they've always been out there, but now your reticular activating system is noticing it. And it's the same way with your students, with the social media apps that they, they go to, you know, in, um, Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain by Zaretta Hammond. She touches on this too and says that's why culturally responsive teaching is so important. Whenever you understand your students' cultures and they start to show up in your class and you value them and students see themselves in your instruction, then all of a sudden it kicks on that part in their brain and it's it's kind of a way to optimize learning for them, but it's also a way to show that you love and care and respect them and their culture, which is, which is cool. Right. And I, I'm going to add to that too, and say it Mm -hmm. models the type of flexible thinking that we would hope to promote within all of them as they move forward into a career where they might be asked that to do those types of things. I mean, I feel like very few careers at this point don't have uh, at least someone will just say within the office who's running all the social media and trying right. to do marketing in those those formats um, with your journalistic background. I mean, it's it's really rare for a journalist not to have to be proficient now in video and, and also exactly. you know in, in writing and being in those spaces. So that's really interesting to think about. And so I'm going to use that as a little bit of a pivot because you brought up TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I do know mm-hmm. that you have done some professional development through TikTok. And so I wanted to ask... Right. Like, what has been your experience with that? Because I, yeah. I like dabbling in PD through different social media formats. We're doing PD stories right now across mm-hmm. a number of different things where we're trying to get ideas out in one minute or less. Um, but what have you learned from TikTok, I guess, or share a little bit about what it is? Yeah. And what have you kind of learned from it? Yeah. So TikTok is a video platform. Uh, it was designed as little short 15 second videos. They've since expanded it to 60 second videos. You can go as long as 60 seconds if you want to. And um, what's fascinating to me about TikTok is, you know, with Facebook, you've got to be Facebook friends before you see people's stuff, or you've got to like their page or, you know, something like that. With Twitter, your feed is made up of people that you follow. Uh, TikTok has a place for the people that you follow, but it also has a stream called For You, where the algorithm looks at how you use the app and who else you follow, and it suggests other things to you from people that you don't follow. And so what's fascinating about TikTok is that someone can create a piece of content, and if it succeeds with the people that it follows, TikTok starts to push it out to people on the For You page, you know, the the algorithm created, you know, algorithm suggested videos. And so someone can make something and it can really blow up and get seen by a lot of people because the content is good. 
because it has, you know, all of the little statistics that they follow that show, you know, the watch time is high, the engagement is high. I'm going to start pushing this out to other people. That's one thing that really fascinates me about TikTok. As far as like what you'll find there, I've found that most of the teacher TikTok that I follow is a lot of people giving like real life about what life is like in the classroom, you know, so they'll talk about funny things that their students did or like relatable things that, you know, happen every single day and they're just putting their finger on it. But then there's a handful of people who are making professional development type stuff interesting too. And that's the niche that I'm sort of getting into. You know, I remember a lot of the kooky things that my students did that I think probably cross over, but I'm more interested in saying here is one quick little thing that's going to help you level up your teaching in 60 seconds or less. And the thing about TikTok too, that's interesting for us as teachers, I think, is that if you want a video to be successful, and for me, the reason I want my videos to be successful, not is because I want to you know, grow my follower base or get lots of likes or anything, but I have things that I want to share with teachers that I think will help them and in turn help their students. And so I want my videos to get seen by people. And if you want them to be seen, they have to be compelling. You have to have a good hook at the beginning that shows people in the matter of three seconds, four seconds, five seconds, really three seconds, like why you should watch the video and you have to deliver on it. You have to deliver on it quickly and you have to make it clear and you have to make it interesting. Like all of those things have to be in place. And then again, it goes back to if that's the world that a lot of our students are living in, our instructional materials have to follow that too, because that's that's what they've come to expect. Now, that's not to put any more, um, you know, not to put any more expectations and guilt and worry on teachers or anything. But like, if we know that that is reality, and if we can start shifting in that direction a little bit, it can help us be more successful. So, yeah, I'm having a blast on TikTok. It's like it's a new creative medium. Like I haven't really done short form videos that much, but I'm really kind of digging it. Um, I I kind of I'm hit and miss on it. Like I'll make a bunch of videos and then I won't for a little. I'm on a dry spell right now, but um, I really I really like it. If I can fit it into my day and make videos, I think it's super fun. Yeah, and I think it fits what we might have the mental capacity for in terms of professional development and growth at the present moment. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Yeah, my self-care and wellness, I'm not sure I could sit down for another hour-long webinar or something along those lines. So for right now, just give me something that is one minute or less at some place where I'm already sort of actively at. And if I can take that yeah. idea, steal it, implement it tomorrow, it's going to be better. Yeah, for me professionally, but as you mentioned, for kids, which is tremendous. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, within our organization, we've tried to do something similar with our PD stories, as I mentioned. Uh, and I'm optimistic that as we get uh, through May and the end of this school year and people have the opportunity to take a breath, um, hopefully yeah. all these little PD one minute or less experiences will also then point to more rich, uh, deep, because I don't think that's the only place PD should live you know, is in one right. minute if it's or not. Like we're, there, there are some great things that need to be explored in, in further depth. And uh, so to sort of bring this full circle back to the Future Ready Conference in June, uh, yep. I'm really looking forward to, to that. And you're going to be a keynote speaker for us there. And so for people that are, again, curious to maybe be a part of that uh, conference, um, can you give us a little bit of a preview about what that keynote will entail? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a, it is in some ways my story 
but I've also done my very, very best to make it relatable and actionable with takeaways and inspiration for other people. But I'll give you the beginning. This will be like the, the movie trailer version, you know, where you see enough of it at the beginning to hook you in and then you don't know how it turns out. Oh, if I knew you were going to do this, I'd have some epic music playing right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. We totally should have done that. Talk Make about creating an experience, right? Same page, yeah. Exactly. Yep. So um, the at the beginning of the keynote, I talk about this moment where I saw my students running out the door because of what I had done in class. I basically like lectured to them all day or all, all class period gave them an assignment. And then when they weren't working on the assignment, I punished them by giving them more because they weren't using their time. The bell rang and then they all sprinted out the door. And that was like a pivotal moment for me. I remember standing there watching them and going, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I know teaching to be. And I had in that moment, I had to try to figure out why in the world am I doing this what is teaching like? How can I move forward? You know, so the rest of the keynote is basically like how I wrap my brain around that. And I think the title of it, I don't think this is giving away too much. The title of the, the keynote is the art and science of memorable teaching. So I started to see that teaching is a lot like science. It's like being a scientist. It's a lot like art. It's like being an artist. And so I draw some parallels to that that you can take away to your class. And then there's also a third kind of like X factor that didn't make sense to me right away that I'll, that I'll drop in there too. So that's kind of what the keynote is all about. And what I hope is that after people hear it, they start to see their roles in education, maybe just a little bit differently in the way that they approach it. Uh, I love all of that. Cause I do think that, um, you know, we've talked digital age in this conversation a couple of times. There's a fear that technology is going to replace a teacher oh, yeah. where I'm, and this goes back to even a couple of podcast episodes ago when we were talking about artificial intelligence. I, I, I instead agree with the thinking that it's more so going to just take some of these responsibilities, hopefully off of our plate so we can be all the more um, yes. scientific and all the more artistic in our ability to support students and, and to really get into those spaces where we need that human and relationship component. So, mm-hmm. uh, gosh, I'm excited for the keynote. I'm looking forward to the conference. I'll give you a space here because we already 30 minutes. I say it every time goes really fast, yep. um, but uh, kind of a parting message for, for teachers or some of our PD folks, because uh, we have a lot of listeners who are instructional coaches or technology integration specialists. Just a message to just kind of wrap things up. Yeah, I keep I feel like I have kept coming back to this message in my email newsletters and in social media and everything. And since we're still right in the heart of teacher appreciation time, you know, day, week, month, whatever, um, at least as we as we record this, I think my big thing is just thank you. Thank you to the teachers who are in the classroom every day, who are in the Zoom classroom every day. Thank you to the instructional coaches and the tech integrators and the professional development people who are supporting those teachers. It has been a year. It's been rough. It's been hard to integrate things. People have taken big leaps and some of it has blown up in our faces. And sometimes we've lost our motivation. We've lost focus on our why and we just thought that maybe it would be more fun to just stay in bed the next day, but we kept showing up for kids. We kept showing up for the teachers that we supported and it's thankless a lot of times. Uh, So for whatever it's worth, 
from a guy who lives in Indiana to anybody who hears this. I just want to give a big heartfelt thank you. You know, we see you, we hear you, we know your dedication and just thank you so much for coming in day after day after day, because you never know how far that impact that you had on students, that you had on teachers. We don't know how far your individual impact reaches, but it's far, you know, the ripple effects of it go a long, long, long way. So that's, that's just what I'd like to tell people is thank you. Uh, and Matt, there in just a moment is why we're excited to have you be a part of our <laughs> conference. So thank you so much for your time, for your advocacy, uh, and we really look forward to seeing you in June. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks.